I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not and, as um, simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more know, doors. The show is called The Deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Ladies and gentlemen, What's up, everybody? This is Wildcat Radio 2.0. I'm Adam Green. He's Brett Barry. And the last time we did a show, Arizona was coming off a close loss to Colorado, a game that we thought they should have won. Then nothing happened. And then Kevin Sumlin was fired. So that's where we're at. I don't know what I mean. They go from a close loss to Colorado to firing Sumlin in a week later. Like, I mean, that that's that's basically the gist of what happened, right? Yeah, I, I think there was some kind of uh, complicating factor on Friday, but I don't think that necessarily influenced someone's firing, well, if that's I, what you're asking. I don't see why Arizona State University having a scrimmage on Friday would impact anything on our podcast or anything to do with Wildcat Radio 2.0. I mean, they they had a scrimmage with basically our walk-on backups. So. <laughs> yeah, I mean, everybody knows Arizona lost to ASU <sighs> 70 to 7 which there's not a lot for us to analyze in this one you know it's Arizona we knew they were the less talented team they showed that like on the opening kickoff and it got worse from there just the cats were never in this game they it looked like they quit in this one uh seven total turnovers which they played three different quarterbacks which was not ideal they played a lot of walk-ons, which, of course, was not ideal. I, I There isn't much to say about this one. Was, ASU was the better team. I did see a, a tweet, I think, from one of the ASU people that said, like, ASU played 61 different players in this in that game. And I think I said they had, like, 10 walk-ons. And I'm like, I don't think Arizona had 61 players healthy and eligible to play. And they probably played more than 10 walk-ons. It's not a recipe <laughs> for success. ASU is not 63 points better than Arizona. But... Like that's what happens when you have a team like Arizona. Just they didn't even want to be there. You could tell. Yeah, we we talked over the course of the year that it hadn't looked like the team had fully quit on the coaching staff and someone. Um, certainly, I don't think we could say that the defense ever quit earlier in the year. Um, but that night, that you know, it all kind of came crashing down, and the things we were concerned about with the lack of depth, just you know. All of the all of our concerns were basically boiled down and reduced to a uh, really bitter sauce of <laughs> discontent for Arizona fans. Um, basically, combining all of the worst possible things that could possibly happen um, outside of everyone getting injured at the same time, right? Yeah. Uh, and it resulted 
<laughs> you know, when you're less than a minute into the game and you're losing and your total points matches your total number of turnovers. Well, they're down 14 nothing less than a minute into the game. Like, yeah. They gave up the opening kickoff for like 100. They, it's listed as a 100-yard touchdown return. It was more like 108. That ball was caught at the back. And no one came close to touching the return, man. Then what Arizona's second play from scrimmage was a pitch to Gary Brightwell that was fumbled and ASU scored on the very next play. Like, and you could tell there, there was one moment, I forget what the score was, I think it was like 21 nothing. Arizona was driving. I think it was in the, into the second quarter. And then Gunnell and Brightwell fumbled in exchange or uh, an option or something. And of Which course, time? Like, and, then two, <laughs> and then two plays later, ASU had like a 93-yard touchdown run after that. Like the game was, if Arizona's going to make any attempt, like it's, you want to talk yourself into, oh, well, if they could score here, then, you know, maybe they're a little bit back in this game because neither one of us thought ASU was a great football team. And I still don't think they're a great football team. But Arizona, especially with their lack of, I don't even want to say depth, their lack of players, you know, depth or otherwise, they just have enough bodies out there. They have to play pretty much perfect just to compete in a game. We knew that. They played terribly in this one. So 70-7, to seven, like I, a lot of Asian fans are laughing. I saw a shirt that I thought was really clever. It had like 707 in maroon letters, then it flipped that around. Right, this was like 707 LOL. And I'm like, it's clever, right? Like, hmm. Arizona deserves every bit of ridicule that comes with this. But as a fan, this was a hell of a lot easier to handle than two years ago when Arizona choked that game away and lost on that last, you know, the field goal miss. Like, this is like, this is laughable. This was like, yeah, okay, it happened, whatever. Moving on. Yeah, I, I, I'm kind of with you on that. Like, as awful as the game was, it was so bad. It was hilariously it's, bad. It's, hilariously. It's so com- yeah, it's comically bad that, like, you can't even get you're beyond like frustrated and you're not stressed out right and the and the other side of it is you know i think kevin someone and hiki's decision regarding him was probably decided before that game i would hope so but but there's something really freeing and clarifying and just eliminates all of the consternation and hand-wringing of like what do you do which who's who's to blame how many guys do you fire or what do you do in a budget like if if there was any doubt you know, one game shouldn't be the decision, but boy, that really aligns everyone around like, you know, even if we get some decommits, like what's the worst thing that's going to happen? You're not going to have uh, <laughs> enough guys to field a competitive team. We're already there, guys. Yeah. So, you know, there's something very clarifying for that. And, you know, I think there's something I've heard some people say that the just sheer shellacking that it was maybe the uh, slap to the face of the old alums and the fan base and the donors to try to say, Hey, you know, we all need to get pulling the rope in the same direction. And it seems like there's maybe some signs. Like I think Hiki has done, did a, a, a an ex coach, like kind of zoom call and trying to engage more than maybe has been in the past and more than someone was doing. It sounds like based on like tweets from Samaji Grant and things like that. There is a lot of always revisionist history for people, like especially when, oh, sure. when some, like someone deserved to be fired. We, you know, on this show, we weren't necessarily defending someone. I think I had said someone, I wrote it on desert. So I'm like, this game shouldn't be the deciding factor. Like whether they were going to fire him or not, like the previous, what, uh, 20 something games before then that should have been the determining factor, right? This game was not the one that to tell you, Unless you were thinking of maybe keeping him and Arizona just got boat raced. Like, which would be like, well, they did. So it made the decision easy. Like, there's not one person who's going to say, why did they fire Kevin Sumlin? Unless you're an ASU fan who wanted them to keep Kevin Sumlin around because you thought more of this was in the future. But you start to hear, of course, when this happens, all the 
all the negative stuff because we talked about oh like he kept the team together they were still playing hard then you start to hear like the players are happy about this that he was terrible with reaching out to people former players like you mentioned Samaji Grant also like he can't get into work out with the guys or something which I think that happens at a lot of different schools I don't I don't know the dynamics like everyone has their own side of those stories you know I have a hard time believing that Arizona just shut out every previous player and it's like you can't come near this like that seems like a terrible thing to do and I would like to think someone in the staff know better but you, but the, the pitchforks come out in a time like this, and because no one's going to defend Kevin Sumlin. I think the closest was Rhett Rodriguez had tweeted something about you know to Hickey and stuff like, oh, if you need a football coach, I know a guy. And Sean Poindexter responded back like, nah, brah, you know, because Poindexter appreciated what Sumlin did. But everyone has their own opinion. Just at this time, it's a lot easier to pile on Kevin Sumlin than defend him. And I'm not necessarily going to pile on, but I'm definitely not going to defend him either. Yeah, well, what's the the saying? Success has a thousand fathers, and failure is an orphan, right? I've never heard that before, but that makes sense. I like that. Like, like you know, nobody's gonna point out all the contributing factors. It's it's much easier to pile on the guy in charge. And at the end of the day, Kevin Sumlin is the person who's accountable. It's a results based business. Um, and you know, in a in a funny way, I think in the last year or two, you know, we talked about it on this pod. I think some of the uh, the challenges in the roster composition, mainly the just like sheer and utter lack of size at all position groups, but especially along the lines, um, someone finally started to address in the last year or two. But he did, like so. I think in some ways the ro- he's leaving the roster in a somewhat better space than he uh, than he received it in some in some ways, not in all ways. I was making a face there for all that. I think because. It's it's hard to imagine that the roster is better because they went to a bowl game the year before and kind of Khalil Tate's magic, which got them to seven wins, and they had a lot of young defensive players like oh they might have a future there, and then of course they got worse every year since then. Yeah, and that's not to say there's not good players on the team. I saw Pro Football Focus rated Roy Lopez as like the best interior defensive lineman in the conference, and they mentioned some other guys. I think Isaiah Johnson got some recognition. Christian Roland Wallace. Like there's not it's not a roster filled with just absolute well, garbage. No, but, but you you have massive black holes in the middle of the defense, which we knew with yeah. linebackers and safeties. And Roy Lopez isn't the one to make the tackles; he's to eat up the blockers and disrupt the plays. But if and to get held to without play, penalties being called, like that's also his role. I feel like, <laughs> yeah. Um, and, and you know, the other challenge to that, I think, is I think most people would agree that Rich Rod was a better schemer with less talent and getting the most out of it and at making in-game adjustments. I think you and I talked about it during the game. I think a frustration with Mazzoni, especially in a roster that's not built for his system completely by by way of not having that size. There is nothing creative Mazzoni does vis-a-vis that reflects on someone to scheme their way to success on offense, and that showed up this year. And it was it's predicated on beat the man in front of you, and if you don't have the talent or depth quite there yet or the experience level, you're kind of... You know, it, you can hindsight is twenty twenty. We can look back and say that, um, but you know, we don't we don't have a two hundred fifty pound nose tackle right now. I guess is the shortened way of the TLDR. You know, from a but roster composition. Three years and and now, granted, everything got weird. A lot of guys transferred. A lot of players that were going to rely on, especially defensively, transferred. But the more you hear is like the more they definitely. It wasn't just because they wanted to go pro sooner because like. The schoolers, for instance, are going to come back for another season. I'm not saying they're going to be NFL guys or draft picks, but like a lot of these guys, it's like maybe they were just trying to get out of Dodge. Maybe they did see, like, oh, this is not going to be good. And obviously there were a lot of offseason stuff about how Arizona's going to be really bad, 
We didn't think so. You know, I think because we thought the offensive line would be better than it was. But regardless, it certainly does make you wonder about in year three is the one where you're supposed to be able to judge a coach, especially because it's mostly their guys now. You know, uh, you have some of your guys are upperclassmen. And I know someone was hired. It was a little bit late in the process, and that hurt things. And I do think there are some pretty good players. I think a guy like Christian Roland Wallace, I mean, now we have to predicate, we hope these guys stick around now, <laughs> you know, who's going to be on this team next season. But sure. Christian Roland Wallace could have a future in the NFL. He has the size. He has the skill set. Like, I could see that. Roy Lopez, they got a little bit late. He was a grad, a grad transfer, but he's good. Like, he'll find it. He'll get a chance. You know, he's a good player. Trevon Mason had a pretty good season. Anthony Pandy had some skill. You know, it wasn't. And Lorenzo Burns developed. He was a good cornerback. Like, there's some decent players on the team, but there's supposed to be more. And there was really nothing. Like, you can't point to Kevin Sullivan as this great tactician. You can't point him and say, look at the staff he built. And got all these great coaches to help him because he's more of a CEO type of coach. And he was relying on his coordinators. And he started off defensively with Marcel Yates, which wasn't a great idea probably. But Mazzoni never proved to be. And I like Nolan I thought the guy could coach offense. But to your point, Brett, he can coach offense when the offense truly fits to his skill set, to his scheme. And he's not good enough or adaptable enough to work around that and get the most out of what he has. And then this recruiting just wasn't there. You know, it, it's revisionist history to say, oh, we knew he'd be bad. Like, I was excited when they hired someone. I'm like, oh, yeah. this guy's recruited Arizona well. He's had success. Yeah. Maybe only won eight games a year at A&M, but we built a damn statue for that in Tucson. You know, like there's nothing. There wasn't like, oh, oh man, this is going to be terrible. And yet it was. And I'm really, so we're going to have uh, Michael Lev from the Arizona Daily Star on the show in a little bit. In a little bit and I'm really interested to try, get his perspective on what went wrong. Because three years ago, there was a lot of buzz. It was a pretty good hire it was looked at. Like, I don't think people were saying, oh, what did Arizona do there? But three years later, it's like, my God, was that a disaster. Yeah, that, and there's, you know, the apologist side can say like, hey, you didn't have any tune-up games with uh, non-conference. And meanwhile, Arizona was still Christian Wallace catching the interception away from being the team that's going to be the Pac-12 oh, South champs. The losing streak doesn't reach 12 games if there's a normal yeah. season. They beat enough, But that doesn't mean that the team was any better, right? Like, you could beat Portland State. You could beat Hawaii and then still lose the rest of your games. Yeah. Well, the, I think what happened in the ASU game was the, the 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 team composition that was held together by Scotch tape, the you know, and popsicle sticks. The wheels fell off, and it yeah. all the bottom fell out. You know, whatever good the coaching staff was doing in terms of holding it all together, it it evaporated in the span of about sixty seconds of but game time. But they quit in that game, and I know they didn't have yeah. the talent, like. But Grant Cannell played. He started. We don't know how healthy he was, but he played. And it's like certain guys were getting healthy for the game. Jalen Harris was back out there. Like, okay. You know, Tavian Cunningham was back. Like, okay. Like, this is as healthy as they've been in a while. And they quit in this game. And I I mean, I hate to say that because not everybody did. Like, it's not fair to say these guys didn't care. But we've all played sports. We've all reached that point in a game where it's just you know you're going to lose. And you maybe try just a little bit less hard. You know, like you're not because like against Washington, they played hard in that game. Still, they made that for I don't want to say comeback in the fourth quarter, but they kept going. You know, this game, it just was an avalanche. Like it just kept going against them. And yeah, they got a touchdown drive. And if not for the turnovers, like you're not going to do much when you turn the ball over seven times. Like I, I get that. But the defense, I mean, they gave up 10 touchdowns, <laughs> you know, like that's some were short fields. Yes, but some were long runs, which we saw quite a bit the week before. I think it was in the second quarter. There was like, a, or maybe it was the last touchdown. The first, I, I lose track of all the touchdowns ASU had. There were a lot of them, 
But like there's just a pass down the middle, wide open, no one near the guy. And like the talent wasn't there, the depth wasn't there, and the coaching wasn't there to make this team competitive in this game. Like which they'd been competitive pretty much every game other than Washington this season. They'd been in every game. Had a chance they had a lead in every other game, but the Washington game. This game they never had a chance. Yeah. The thing that came to mind in watching this game, uh did you ever see the movie The The Replacements with Keanu Reeves and Gene Hackman? Yeah. Lucas Haverson the, I didn't see him smoking on the sidelines or anything. <laughs> <laughs> no, but the the Keanu Reeves is Shane Falco speech where he's talking about quicksand and the more you struggle, the more you just go further under that's what that whole game felt like where it was like they were a little spooked and then panicked and then it just snowballed and all it did was exacerbate the problems that they were doing the entire game mm-hmm. and they're you know and then suddenly you're you know you're in over your head earlier than you expected and there's nothing you can do right but that's coaching that's, right like that's coaching i the yeah i think at the end of the day arizona's roster absolutely did not look prepared um, to play that game. And that is on the coaching staff. I mean, it's the players are the ones on the field, but if they did not look, even from the first play of the game, even from the kickoff, and I know that the roster was depleted and you probably had guys, even on the kickoff coverage team, who shouldn't be normally out there. But, you know, there's... They, they, got, they got punched in the mouth and then uh, just never recovered from the first hit, in my, in my perspective. Yeah. Well, well, we'll have time to debrief the season. Like, I don't... There's really nothing you take from that game. Get, uh, you know, Gary Brightwell had a bad game, which was unfortunate. Had a few fumbles. Like he's a good player. He played hard this season. That's just like people have a bad game. That was historically bad. Michael Wiley came on towards the end of the season. You know, they're touchdown this one. He looks like a he looks like a player. Will Plummer more turnovers, but like you can see some talent there. Gunnell, I thought. I mean, he made had fumbles. You know, a couple of fumbles had an interception that he was just going to throw that ball the entire time. Like this is a bad read, bad throw. You know, like it's. Like, Mejon Wright was good. He had 85 yards on eight catches. Like, you take that. Like, he looks like a building block, but it's it's this whole season where the idea is, can you build off? Because right? you're not – it was kind of a weird season. Like, can you use this as, as a springboard, as a stepping stone to 2021? And for teams that are bringing back their coaches and their staffs and all that, yes, it can be a season. Like, ASU can build off of whatever they do this season. Arizona, they have to replace the entire coaching staff now, and we don't know transfer. Like, Stanley Berryhill already announced that he's going to transfer which is unfortunate. Like, I get it. You know, it turns out from a walk-on to a very good player, leading receiver this season. Like, hey, I don't blame him. You know, go find an opportunity where you think it'll be better for you because right now Arizona looks really, really bad. So I don't, I don't think there's much we could take from this game other than what obviously we've taken, which is like the coaching staff needed to be fired. Like Kevin Sullivan needed to go. Um, do I want to pile on the players and blame them? Like, not really. Like, I get it. You know, especially once you get down 21 nothing, it's a lot harder to really muster that. Okay, we can, yeah. especially when they only had like 50. I don't know how many players they had available that game. I don't remember seeing that being announced. But again, like ASU played 61 guys. I don't think Arizona had 61 guys. Well, I mean, and we don't know how many guys that maybe had a disappointing game. How many of them are playing through like a nagging injury that if you had a full roster, they maybe wouldn't play or wouldn't play as many snaps, yeah. right? Like these are the things you don't know on the outside looking in. But at the end of the day, this is where, you know, I've always harped on depth, depth, depth is how you become a winning team. This was uh, what happens when you have literally negative depth. No, when you have and when you have walk ons, I think what Lorenzo Burns got hurt and there was a walk on true freshman who came in to replace him like that's not like that's the situation Arizona was in this season. It got worse as the season went on as players got hurt, as there were more opt outs and transfers like their depth got worse. But how many of those opt outs were uh 
a result of uh, being upset with the coaching staff. You know, how many of those opt-outs or the transfers were just coaching-related? You know, like it, all, it all circles back to that. Where, yeah. And that's, again, none of us are defending someone. The move had to be made. You know, Arizona booster stepped up so they could afford the buyout. Like, it had to be made. It's unfortunate. <laughs> you know? We were hoping that it would be better, and there, th- that was the last game of the season. Arizona was supposed to play Cal. That's what they were scheduled to do, their North crossover game. And Cal has COVID issues, and they can't even play right now. So it's like, you know, the Pectos like, we're going to schedule this game, and then you guys just give us the okay to not have it. Because you know, Paul Rhodes was elevated the interim coach. He will not coach a game for Arizona as the head coach, you know, the interim head coach. So Yeah, the, the Pac-12 was like, blink twice if you want to cancel this game. Yeah. <laughs> so the season ends with a 70-7 to loss to ASU. Arizona, oh God, 0-5. They were competitive in three of those games. Not competitive in one of the well, one of the two they weren't competitive in. We understood that was at Washington. That made sense, but they still played hard. ASU was everything bad we thought about this team: talent, depth, coaching, all on display against ASU. <laughs> so it was a comically bad game. You want to just <laughs> you'll never live it down, but you're certainly going to be able to move past it. Because there's not even really anything to analyze. It's just they were bad. But yeah, flush it down the toilet. Like you'd like to. So we're gonna take a break, and when we come back, we're gonna have Michael Lev of the Arizona Daily Star to try to help us understand what went wrong and where the program goes next. I'm Alex Rodriguez, and I'm Jason Kelly from Bloomberg. This is the deal. Each week, you'll hear us in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Welcome back, everybody. And we are happy to be joined by Michael Love of the Arizona Daily Star. Michael, it's been, I guess now, a fun few days for you, I imagine. Just your initial thoughts on everything that's transpired, I guess, since Friday night. Yeah, hey, guys. Thanks for having me on again. Um, yeah, Friday night was a fiasco of the highest order. Um, one of the most pitiful performances any of us has ever seen. Um, maybe, you know, some people are saying maybe even the low point of Arizona football ever. I mean, I can't really make that statement, but having covered the 69 to seven loss at Washington state in 2016, I can say that this was actually worse because it was against their arch rival. It was on national TV and the way that it happened with all of the fumbles and the interceptions and giving up the opening kickoff. I mean, and when that's, you know, loss number 12 in a 12-game losing streak, there was just no choice at that point. They had to move on from the head coach, no matter what the cost was. And then we can get into that later if you want. I don't think it's quite as simple as people make it out to be. Um, and so, yeah, there we go. We're, we're in a coaching search again for the second time in three years. And the, the um, awkwardness of the timing is unavoidable. Um, signing day is uh, tomorrow, right? I mean, we're recording this on Tuesday night. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're going to have probably half of a class at best. And whoever the new coach is, 
is going to have to come in and scramble. So, Michael, I first I was at that Washington State game. <laughs> oh my god! So, no. I will I will say, and I was sitting out there in the like twenty degree weather. So, <laughs> for me personally, that may have been worse because I couldn't just you know go open another beer and sit on my couch, right? Um, so for me personally, that might've been the, the low point. Um, but Mike, you know, do you, do you think that the way that the, you know, you kind of talked about how it was just a pitiful performance. Do you think that that changed anything from Dave Hickey or the boosters or anything, you know, did it rally the booster troops? So, so to speak to align them around like, Hey guys, we all got to pull together. Otherwise this is. You know, it's, it's it was so bad that it was clarifying, I guess, as a way of putting it. Yeah, no, I think it's a great point. Um, you could make the argument that it was sort of the best thing that could have happened because it it gave um, everyone a clear idea of what needed to happen and that what needed to happen was change. You know, if it was 27 to 23, you could kind of maybe talk yourself into it, you know, like, man, they're. They have a depleted roster and they're fighting so hard and the recruiting class isn't bad. I think what changed was it made it more definitive. It pushed up the time frame a little bit because I don't think that Dave Hickey was going to do this after the ASU game. I think he was going to wait until after the end of the season. And if they had played well and hadn't had so many injuries, they probably would have played another game. So, you know, that would have, you know, maybe that would have delayed the inevitable. Um, so I think that in a weird way, um, it was kind of almost like a, it was almost like a, like a cry for help in a sense, like we're like, right. Like we are really floundering here and we need a new plan and we need help from everybody. And, you know, we're gonna, um, we're gonna, you know, listen to the input of some of those people maybe this time. I know there was a big like meeting of football alumni on zoom tonight um and i think they're a representative or maybe a lot of those guys are going to meet with dave hickey later in the week to just you know just maybe share their ideas they're not going to make the pick per se but i I think that they're going to express um some ideas of what you know of what they want um and need this coach to be it certainly seems like Apathy was setting in in this game, turned that apathy into just anger, which could be a springboard, of course, for for that change. And for that, once the emotion gets back involved with the fan base, with the alumni, they're more likely to act on that, to try to do something to fix this. I'm wondering, though, like, it was really bad. And three years ago when they hired Kevin Selma, I don't think too many people were saying that was a terrible move. You know, there people might have liked Ken N from Navy, right? Like, they might have liked other coaches, but someone was looking at it as a pretty good hire, as a pretty good get for Arizona, like, I'm sure it's not one thing that went wrong, you know, but if you could kind of paint a picture of like, why didn't it work out for Kevin Sumlin at the University of Arizona, what would you say that is? Like, what happened? Sure. I mean, I agree with your premise. Um, it looked really good. I, I think I might lead to my firing story right through was like, he looked like the ideal candidate on paper, you know, like he had the reputation as a great recruiter, as a developer of quarterbacks. He'd won everywhere he had been, even though he got fired from Texas A&M. I mean, he was going eight and five in the SEC West. People here would take eight and five, right? Every so year. They'd build a statue for him at that point. They, they probably would, right? So I don't think they got that 
early career version of Kevin Sumlin. They got a later career version of Kevin Sumlin who wasn't as hungry, um, wasn't uh, as all in as he needed to be to succeed in this job. Um, this is not a place where you can just roll up in your with your block A on your Apollo and people are going to just, you know, roll over and want to play for you. You know, maybe you can do that with Texas A&M, uh, you know, that it, as people say that, you know, it recruits itself, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you're not going to get Miles Garrett to come to Arizona, pretty much no matter what you do. And this job requires someone who's willing to be a grinder, you know, who lives, eats, breathes, sleeps Arizona football 20 hours a day, 365 days a year. Um, and I just don't think that Kevin Sumlin is that guy uh, anymore at this stage of his life and at this stage of his career. Um, maybe he will be again. Maybe this experience will change his outlook and he'll sort of get his life together. Um, but I don't think that Arizona got that guy. And I thought he, he, I believe that he thought he could come in here and kind of ride his reputation to recruiting success, which would lead to success on the field. Would you, you know, would you say that that is something similar that Rich Rodriguez maybe experienced in terms of being on the recruiting, you know, out out there? Because like I I would contend that Rich Rod is the better in-game schemer and doing more with less. But I'm curious to know, because like Adam and I were talking about before you joined us, I'm not so sure that the roster in totality with its, you know, obvious exceptions for the glaring holes is necessarily in a worse spot that he's leaving for the next coach than what he inherited in terms of just sheer size and raw athleticism, uh, especially along the lines. So I'm it, it in my perspective, and I'm curious to hear your thoughts on this, because it seems like Kevin someone in the last year or two kind of started to maybe see, see where he needed to go, but it was too little too late. Um, and then it was just a mismatch of the talent with the scheme and an inflexibility on the scheme it, it, from my perspective. Well, I mean, I thought they were actually doing okay in recruiting. Not great, not bad, but decent. I, I liked, I think we talked about this the last time, like the way I judge recruiting classes and drafts in the pros, especially the NFL draft, does it make sense? You know, because no one knows whether these players are going to work out. I mean, at best, you're probably going to hit 50%, right? Mm-hmm. So does it make sense? And they were attacking the lines on both sides. They were, uh, you know, investing a lot in Texas, where there are a lot of good players who can't go to Texas or Texas A&M or Oklahoma. So that all made sense. Um, however, there were problems. Number one, the offensive line regressed this year. In a big way. And they did not have the opt-outs and the transfers. And other than Edgar Barola, I mean, it was a veteran unit that came back. I know that Josh McCauley was banged up, probably was playing at 70% or or what have you. But what happened there? Mm -hmm. And that just messed up everything on offense, okay? And then you look at defense, bunch of guys transferred, bunch of guys opted out. I mean, you have the option this year to opt out because of COVID, but how many of those guys do we really believe were opting out because they were fearing for their safety? They were just using that as an excuse to go home. Uh, And then you have some guys entering the transfer portal. You also had a handful of guys who were legitimately injured. But when you add all of that up, like what is the common thread? 
they didn't want to be here. You know, and maybe they didn't like uh, Paul Rhodes because he's kind of a hard ass, you know, and they didn't want to work hard. Or maybe they just didn't like the overall atmosphere and culture. And I know that is an overused word, and I've been using that word on like every radio appearance <laughs> that I make, but I think it's really important, and I think it's really important here. So Michael, I, one, of the, one of the things that I've thought about over the course of the season, I think back over the someone era in general, and you know, three years in, you'd think you'd have it. One of the things that comes back, that keeps coming to the top of mind for me is that there is absolutely no identity for this Arizona team. And it, it seems more like an amalgamation of guys that are like, like even Noel Mazzoni's scheme is like, beat the guys in front of you, and it's kind of standard, spread it out, offense, nothing complicated or you know but I, i'm not sure that matches with arizona's skill level um or depth uh do, what what identity did arizona have if any or what do you think is the you know what kind of identity can arizona to be successful what kind of identity can they embrace right well i again i completely agree with you i wrote about this um a couple weeks ago in one of my cat stats features where, I mean, I asked that question, like, what is the one thing that you can say that they do exceptionally well? Um, since I've been on this beat, the best wins that they've had are games in which they've run the ball exceptionally well, whether that was J.J. Taylor going for 200 yards at Oregon State, Khalil Tate rushing for 300 yards at Colorado when Rich Rod, or, you know, also the 500-yard game against ASU, in 2016, when Rich Rod was here, no matter what was going on, the one thing they'd be able to do was run the football, mm -hmm. right? I'm not saying that that is what should be, what the identity should be moving forward, but in my time here, that's been the closest thing um, that I could find to an identity. Um, you know, if we're going to harken back to the Dick Tomey days, which we might be doing here based on the, the names that I'm hearing, hey, what about defense? You know, how about how about that? I mean, it's sort of like it's you're almost an outlier at this point in college football. If defense is what you hang your hat on, because it's such an offensive sport. And, and I was saying to my son last night as we were watching that Monday night football game, I'm like 45 to 42. I guess it was 47, 42 at the end is a really high scoring NFL game. That's like an average kind of Pac-12 or Big 12 game. Um, so maybe, I don't know, maybe that becomes your identity. If you, you know, I, I would like to think too, that, um, you can, if you do it right, you can mold your identity to be something similar to what Utah has going. Okay. But you have to have the right coaches in here to do that, to bring in the right types of players. All right. We're talking to Michael Lev of the Arizona Daily Star here on Wildcat Radio 2.0. Kind of touch on that, what type of coach maybe you need to have. There's a lot of names being thrown out there, some with connections to Arizona, some without connections to Arizona. And I'm not one of those people that thinks you have to find an alumni because I think that really limits your pool of candidates. And like, there's no Adia Barnes in football who's dying to come back to Arizona and rebuild this program to my knowledge. But some of the names that are out there, who are you hearing and what do you think of those names that are out there? Yeah, I mean, to play devil's advocate there, I guess I would say that they have gone away from bringing in a former Wildcat or bringing in someone with ties to Dick Tomey over the last 20 years, and it hasn't really worked. Not, not At least not in terms of sustained success, right? They had their moments under Mike Stoops, 
Um, Rich Rod sent them to five uh, bowl games in six years, um, which has never been done before. Then again, if you look at his last three years versus his first three years, I mean, it's not really that impressive. He even acknowledged um, his shortcomings as a recruiter, you know, about three quarters of the way through his tenure by turning over the entire uh, defensive staff to bring in some some better recruiters, some younger coaches. Um, I, my understanding is that they want to bring in someone who either was a Wildcat or has some sort of connection to that era. Um, like that could be Ken Niamatololo. He's never been a Wildcat, but he's got he had a relationship with Dick Tomey. Um, I think he's on the short list. Um, I think that uh, Joe Salabea is under con- strong consideration. Now, that could be as the head coach. That could be as the defensive coordinator. That could be as the associate head coach slash defensive line coach slash recruiting coordinator. And the other you know, prominent name is Brent Brennan uh, of San Jose State, who spent one year here as a grad assistant, spent five seasons under Dick Tomey, at San Jose State and has led them to their best season since 1939, you know, um, and we can get into each one of those guys. But to me, um, at this point in time, based on what I, I'm hearing and what my understanding is of what they're looking for, those would be the top three. And, and those names, I guess, I don't want to pronounce Namat Tololo. I, I imagine just for talkers, <laughs> that would be a tough one to get the hang of it. But there's not really big flashy names in that group. Like some alum, sure, but like when it was Rich Rodriguez, like wow, that's Rich Rodriguez, you know, Michigan, West Virginia, and when it's Kevin Sumlin, like that's Kevin Sumlin, like that's the guy that ASU was supposed to hire five years before, six years before, right? And how and how did that work out? Yeah. So is that <laughs> you know is that maybe due to the finances behind this? Maybe Arizona can't afford the Kevin Sumlin, or do they really look and say it's better to find maybe an up and coming coach or someone who has those strong ties to the program that will want to. Will, put in the work, knows the work that needs to be put in and will be willing to do it. Is that, is that the approach they're taking this time around? I, I mean, I do think that money is a factor. Um, and some coaches are more expensive than others, for sure. Uh, Joe Salavea would be the least expensive of all. I think his contract is up in January. He makes, I don't know, $650,000 a year or something. Brent Brennan signed a contract extension through 2024, but he only makes about $850,000 a year. So you could double his salary and also reduce his cost of living by half, probably, right? <laughs> From the Bay Area to Tucson. And he's got three kids. I mean, that's a, that's a heck of a deal, right? Um, my understanding is that they want to res- like restore the soul of Arizona football, in a sense. You know, that they want to bring back, like, I, you know, things have changed. College football is not the same, but a lot of those core principles – that Dick Tomey had would apply now and work now. They, I think they want a coach who knows what Tucson's like, understands like what it takes to succeed here and wants to be here for 10 to 12 years. You know, I, I understand this idea of the big name coach or the hot up and coming coordinator, but I don't think we want to be having this discussion again in four or five years. Which, I mean, that's a decent amount of time in today's college football, but I really think they want someone who is willing to plant their roots here, really believes in what Arizona can become. And that hasn't really been part of the criteria 
I don't think in the recent past. I mean, it seems to me, I think you guys both kind of touched on it. It's, it's almost less about, you know, being a wildcat, but having ties to here and understanding what it takes, right? Like you can't just roll in and assume that you're going to get catch all the talent in the state of Arizona, right? Like both ASU and Arizona have struggled with that as Arizona's high school talent has, has burgeoned, right? Um, it seems to me that <laughs> Brent Brennan might be the right kind of combination of enough ties, but not like the alumni person that you can't, you, you know, you feel like you can't fire the, you know, the, the homecoming hero, so to speak. Right. Um, especially if you can maybe combine that with some other types of guys, but that, you know, the other question I have, I, I'm not sure I, I'd be curious to hear your perspective on this, Michael. Like I know a lot of people are always concerned about up and comers and even Brent Brennan is by coaching standards, relatively young and people have already raised concerns like, Oh, if he does well, he's going to leave in a couple of years. In my perspective, isn't, doesn't that leave Arizona? Does that a mean Arizona was successful enough to have a coach in demand and B somebody is paying us to buy him out rather than we're paying him to go away. Yeah, no, I, I, I get that. I hear that. Um, and if he is, if he does come here and he is successful, he will be probably be coveted by others. I mean, that's sort of part of the conversation that you have with him to determine like how he views this job. You know, I also cover baseball. Um, at, at the U of A and uh, Jay Johnson, I think is terrific. Like he's incredibly well organized. He's a great recruiter. They're in for a tremendous year, I think, mm-hmm. um, in 2021. I mean, he was like a huge admirer of Jerry Kindle. Like he viewed Arizona as like his pretty much his dream job, you know? And I think he, you know, barring something unforeseen, he probably will do this job for 20 years. He's had chances to leave, right? I'm sure his name came up. Uh, I think so. Yeah. Yeah. Especially after they, you know, had so much initial success and they've extended him a little bit. Um, I mean, you know, look, nothing is guaranteed in the world of coaching. These guys all have agents. They all have egos. Brent Brennan seems like a real genuine guy from what I understand. And I think the biggest issue might be whether he wants to leave San Jose state, which sounds crazy, but his dad played there. He's from the area. Like he really loves that place. And he even said, like, I want to be the coach at San Jose State for 15 years, you know, around the time that he got a contract extension last year. So, you know, it's it's a it's a tough decision if you're him. Um, to me, if I were advising him, I would say, you know, Brent, you gotta take emotion out of the equation here. And you've got to look at your career like this is you're never going to do any better at San Jose State than you're doing now in all likelihood. Like if you want to move up the coaching ladder, if you want to try to accomplish the same thing at a power five, this might be the best opportunity to do so. But we're talking to like Arizona, obviously it should be a step up from San Jose State. But what kind of oh, job yeah. what kind of job is Arizona via? Because it's not a top tier Pac twelve job and the Pac twelve itself isn't necessarily looked at as this amazing conference. So we're talking about, yes, it's a, it's a step up from where Brennan would be coming from, but where, like, how is this job viewed overall? Uh, well, that's a, that's a really good question. Um, I, when I first came here, I sort of viewed Arizona as being in the middle class of the PAC 12. Um, now I'd probably say realistically, um, it's in the lower half, I guess. Um, but if you succeed, if you do it right, if you do it well, you should be in that same level as like a Utah, 
to me. That's 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 about the that's about the the ceiling as I see it. Utah's on the fringe or bottom end of the top twenty-five just about every year. They win seven to nine games. They're contending for the Pac-12 South, and they're a tough out. They're physical on the lines. They're good at special teams. Trademarks of you know the Dick Tomey era, right? Um, like you might you might beat Arizona back in the day, but you're gonna like walk out of there with a limp and a black eye, and you know feeling it for several days. Um, Arizona, to me, is better positioned than Washington State, Oregon State. Um, for recruits, those are probably the three toughest um, cities to recruit to. But I mean, we've got weather here, you know, and and they don't have that. Um, so you should minimally be at the level of a Utah, uh, of a Colorado. Um, you've never, probably never going to get up to where USC is. Um, Oregon is kind of in that upper tier now. Probably Washington too. Um, and hey, let's throw ASU in there too. I mean, I don't see why Arizona can't be uh, on par uh, with ASU if they bring in the right people. So, you know, I'm going to ask you one last question, and we'll we'll wrap up with you and let you go, Michael. Thanks again for joining us. Uh, I'm I'm now talking to athletic director Michael Lev. What are the three characteristics and qualities in a coach that you're looking for if you're making this hire? Okay. Uh, number one is just work ethic. You know, like I said earlier, like this is a, this is not an easy job. And I want to know that you are going to put, pour your heart and soul into this, which, you know, unfortunately I don't think that Kevin Selman ever really did. Um, so that's probably number one. Um, uh, number two, I would say that you've got to have, the right, it's sort of hard to define exactly what this is, but the right personality. Um, like personally, I like people who are positive, who try to build up their players, you know, like I coached Pete Carroll or I coached, I covered, (laughs) I did not coach Pete Carroll ever at any point. I covered Pete Carroll his last two years at USC and he never swore at anybody or yelled at anybody on the practice field. He's always trying to boost people up um, and try to help them to become them their best selves. Okay, so that's sort of that kind of uh, positive reinforcement um, coaching style, I guess. Okay, so that's the work ethic, um, that that uh, aspect of the personality, and then number three, I would say, um, is kind of understanding the market understanding the community, you know, like realizing like that this, you know, this is a college town and, you know, you should, if you should embrace that. And if you do this right, like you will be happy here. Um, You can become a part of the community. Um, Just kind of having that, that, uh, um, that understanding, you know, Um, I, like I've talked about this with my boss, um, Ryan, that we both feel like whoever this next coach is, it, it can't be someone who's never stepped foot in this town, you know, and Rich Rodriguez never did before he came here and he did a really good job overall, right? You can't complain uh, about the record. I don't, Kevin, someone probably was never here, 
before unless he had a game when he was a player or, or, or what have you. Um, Not so there has to be <laughs> unconfirmed. Maybe down to some poaching a recruit or something should... <laughs> from local schools of anything back in the day. Oh man, maybe. Uh, so, so those are kind of the three things. Um, I don't know if those are even like necessarily uh, character traits or whatever, but those would be three big things I'm looking for. And I just want to add too that recruiting kind of falls under the umbrella of the first, the first one, the work ethic. You know, that's just sort of an assumption. If if you're working, you're grinding. Recruiting is a part of that. Michael Lev, I think you just hired a pretty good coach for Arizona. Don't know who it is, but I think you found the right guy. Uh, Arizona Daily Star, thank you for joining us. Um, is there anything you want to plug? What's coming up? I know it's signing days this week and a coaching search is happening, but what do you got going on right now? Yeah, no, I mean, we're just trying to follow along with this thing. Uh, we will. I will have a live blog going on signing day. I don't expect as many guys to sign. Probably 10 to 12 would be my best guess. Um, as the, as the guys who are actually going to sign, um, Greg Hansen's had some really good columns up, so you should check out Tucson.com or you can download the Wildcaster app, which enables you to read all of our sports stories for free. Quite a deal. Don't have to have a, uh, a um, subscription to the Daily Star. And my Twitter is at Michael J. Lev, and I'm, I, t- I tweet a lot, as you guys know. So, <laughs> yeah, so some some of them are funny. Some of them are off base but you know and i like to mix it up with the people that's twitter for you though so not everything's gold but everything's out there for (laughs) the world to see michael lev thank you again for joining us and we hope to catch up with you another time down the road thanks guys it was fun so that was michael lev of the arizona daily star always has great information and you know brett it's interesting because yeah this is not the fact that arizona's looking for a new coach again is not that exciting like coaching searches can be fun but the circumstances are obviously not ideal for the program. But I do find it interesting that the list of names out there, like Brent Brennan, is intriguing. It wouldn't necessarily be anyone's first choice until you heard of him. But the more you read up, you're like, okay, I could see this. And the one thing I know is that any Arizona fan can talk them into any type of coach, whoever it's going to be. Because the big the big name didn't work with someone. So a lot of people are like, no more retreads. Well, okay, that's that's fine. Although there's certain retreads that you know would probably be good choices. So Brennan's not that, though. He's an up-and-comer from a smaller school that, I mean, if he turns Arizona down, then oof, (laughs) where's the program there? But it's just there wasn't a lot of optimism for the program a week ago. But with the firing of Kevin Sumlin, I think there's a lot of people energized, like, okay, maybe now Arizona can get this right. Well, I think like we talked about with uh, Michael Lev, that when when you hit rock bottom, there's there's a certain alignment that happens and everybody starts pulling the, the, the rope in the same direction. And if you're a program like Arizona, you need people pulling the rope in the same direction because yeah. you don't have the inherent uh, benefits of other programs. So in that, in that way, you know, there's, <laughs> there's, there's, it's easy to have a sense of optimism when you know it literally can't get worse. Yeah. No, and, and that's it. And it's important for everyone to remember that, Chances are, I mean, granted, when Rich Rodriguez was hired, I think Arizona won four games the year before, and then they ended up winning seven and then the bowl game to get to eight the next year. But the general belief is that this isn't going to be a quick fix. But it also doesn't necessarily have to be a situation where, especially with transfers and how it's going to be for the new coach is, that Arizona has to be a two-win program next year. You know, assuming it's a full season and more normalcy in 2021, like maybe things could be better 
more quickly than people think, but at the same time, patience will need to be afforded whoever the coach is. Like, and that's something I think that's important to remember. Yeah, we're Rose Bowl's probably not happening in the next year. <laughs> probably not. So, you know, there football is obviously a lot of news going on. Signing day will be Wednesday. We're recording this on Tuesday, so by the time you listen to this, who knows? Whoever's still signing with Arizona may have already done it, but. The basketball teams have been doing great. Men's basketball has a pretty big test coming up this week, too. Let's talk about that after this break. We're back, and yeah, I guess if there's anything... I, I sent a tweet out, actually, during the ASU debacle, and I'm like, retweet if your college has not lost a basketball game this season. As I, was I see me- what you did there. Yeah. <laughs> At the time, both Arizona men and women were undefeated, and that's still true. Um, like it's, it's been good so far and I'll granted, like, especially the men, they have not left the McHale center yet and they haven't exactly had a team where you're like, Oh, that's a, that's a really good opponent or that's a really tough test. Um, they're going to start to get there now, um, this week, but so far what we've seen, like even the game against UTEP, it was not that exciting. Like Arizona did not play well, but they made just enough plays and played enough defense to win a game. Like it's important to be able to win a game when you don't play well. Yeah, they hit no three-pointers. Um, plenty of guys were not uh, you know, on their A game. But even in, even in those struggles, as you like to say, you can learn lessons in wins just as well as you can learn them in losses. Um, and I think you can say the same thing about developing your players. Uh, one of the things that was interesting in that game, and I think we've seen over the course of five games, I wasn't sure coming into the season if Dale and Terry and Ben could play together given they're both not neither of which seemed to be refined scorers but they both seem to be enough of a threat scoring mm-hmm. in 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 the most recent games and kind of as they're developing that maybe you can have them on the court together and they're both enough of scorers to be able to kind of balance you know have a balanced lineup out there because boy when they're both out there there's some length athleticism and intriguing talent uh, and it 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 bodes well for the future well ben had a good game and he also got benched because of turnovers like both him and Terry Terry looks like he can do pretty much everything and he impacts the game even when his shots not falling when he's not scoring good defender really good passer but Ben had a good game showed the athleticism but also showed that he's a freshman so I think so far to where given the schedule Arizona's played they probably should be five and oh and given that schedule like have they struggled at times where you hope they wouldn't sure but even then I think Sean mentioned like the four games in eight days that UTEP was like they're probably tired that, that's a lot. That usually does not happen, which would help explain maybe some of the three-point shots that they're missing. Some of the bunnies down low. Miller also mentioned that. He's like, if we could have made more shots at the rim that were there, then it opens things up for the shooters. Like, that's that's basketball. That makes sense. But Arizona won that game. UTEP's not a great team, right? That's not the opponent you're judging them by. Uh, on Wednesday, so again, by the time you listen to this, maybe this game's already happened. Arizona plays California Baptist. Again, not another one you're going to say, ooh, if Arizona wins that game, this team's legit. But then that game will be followed this weekend, in theory, assuming it does happen, against Stanford, who is a better opponent than anyone Arizona's played up to this point. Like, that's going to be the first chance Arizona away from McHale. So they're playing, what, in Santa Cruz? This game's not going to be in Palo Alto because it's not allowed to be, I guess, or I don't know <laughs> what the deal is there. But that's going to be the first true test of this season for a team that we had reasonably decent expectations of, given that there's talent. But now we're going to see is like, was this start uh, a product of the fact that they are better than anticipated, or was it a product of just weak scheduling? Yeah, the, 
Stanford is what I think three and two um, with losses to North Carolina and Indiana. I think, you know, if, if the schedule today, Arizona can not play their best game and win such as at UTEP, you know, if they don't play their best game at Stanford, they're, they're going to lose. They have some legit NBA talent on that roster. I'm not a hundred percent sold on Stanford. Uh, you know, but Zaire Williams was a U of A target. That's looked pretty good so far as a true freshman, uh, kind of a do-it-all wing type mm-hmm. who's looked, you know, looked good so far. It's going to be a good challenge for Ben and Dale and Terry and, and, uh, in terms of kind of being able to control him. And, and they have De Silva, him. too. That guy can play. Yeah, they're, they're, Stanford is a top, you know, certainly top half, maybe top third or top quarter of the Pac-12 type basketball team this season. Mm-hmm. Um so it's going to be the first real test for this roster. And after five games, I think so far so good. This will be a good measuring stick. Yeah, assuming they don't lose to California Baptist. Because that would put a whole don't wrench into this into conversation. Existence. So they, you know, they should be 6-0 and by the time they get to that game. Um, Kirk Chris is still not eligible at the time of this recording to play, which is just why not is the question. <laughs> um, but it's certainly like the the rotation they've been playing like nine guys most games, which is a pretty big rotation. It should be ten if Chris was eligible. You'd think he'd be playing. Of course, Daniel Bacho has been out, had his knee surgery. So just the things that we wanted to see, the things that needed to happen if Arizona was going to be better than expected, we've seen flashes of that. You know, some of the guys like Ben and Terry being better, Jamal Baker coming into his own. He's been pretty good lately. <laughs> was the Pac-12 Player of the Week actually? You know, for his performance last week. So if those things continue. Then as you get Coloco playing a little bit stronger, a little bit more authoritatively down low, Jordan Brown has had a couple of clunkers. He's also had some really good games. Like you're starting to see that the talent is there. It just doesn't coalesce and be consistent. But, of course, we said against lesser opponents, lesser competition, where your athleticism is just so far superior to your opponent that you're just going to be able to do whatever you want. It's basketball. Like you have to be able to shoot, but if you have better athletes and more size, chances are you're going to win. That won't necessarily be the case against Stanford. They're going to have to play a good basketball game because they're playing a team with good athletes, with good size, and with good skills. So, and also, it's away from home. Like they don't have the home court advantage that you normally do at McHale Center, but it's going to be an unfamiliar gym. It's going to, you're not going to have Sean Miller's dog uh, cut out in the stands. So like, it's going to be a different environment, one that this team has not been in this season. And it's going to be, yeah, I mean, it's one game, but it's the first real game where you're like, okay, let's see where they're at right now. Yeah, this it'll be a good test for some of the guys that have been getting more minutes, like Coloco. See if Jamal Baker can put up these kind of numbers. He's been playing out of his mind. Yeah, uh, for the last couple games, um, you know, the sooner that Christian Coloco realizes that he can just dunk on everyone, the better for this team. Um, but I think he's still kind of learning what he's capable of. To 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 put he's it like a baby bluntly. giraffe learning to walk for the first time every night. Like, oh, it's like I can do this. All right. <laughs> he's he's the baby giraffe that's like hurting his neck, bending down to eat grass. And it's like <laughs> you're a giraffe. Eat the leaves out of the tree. There's no competition up there, man. <laughs> Basically, um, you know. So that it'll be like I said, it's going to be a great measuring stick game. Um, it's not, it doesn't sound like Kirk Reese is going to be eligible by that game, which it'd be nice to have because he's another shooter. Um, you know, there's. One of the things that I want to want to see is how does Jordan Brown handle stiffer competition? How does Coloco handle competition? 
can the outside shooting sustain against better competition? Because I think Arizona's shooting overall has been better than we maybe thought, and not just Jamal Baker. Like, Akinjo's been great. Dalen Terry and Ben Ben Mathurin are hitting threes. Can they keep doing that when they're not as open against a better team? Yeah. And these are the things we'll be able to kind of get a test of on uh, on Saturday in Santa Cruz. Yeah, and, and other rivalry news, the Arizona women's team just destroyed ASU 65-37 their last game. The women are now ranked sixth in the country, which is like the highest ranking in program history. So, like, we don't talk about them as much because, like, they just keep rolling. <laughs> like, anyone who knows, like, sports radio and everything, like, when things are bad is when people have stuff to talk about. It's only so many times you can come on and say, yep, they're good. You know, <laughs> so, like, the, women's are, the women are just rolling right now. It's fun to see. You know, they're just, especially when they beat up ASU because we needed that. Yeah, they basically did to ASU's women's team what ASU's football team did to ours. Although the Arizona, or the Arizona women did not score as many points as the ASU football team did in the rivalry game. The women only had 65. The football team scored 70. <laughs> <sighs> but, yes, it's so uh, the women's idea, Barnes and that group. They are just keep rolling. It's fun to see that they are legitimately very, 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 very good. And it's like you just hope that the season continues on for them because they could do some real damage come tournament time and some much deserved damage. Like they they deserve a chance to really make that run. And so far they're looking to be and they've had it hasn't been perfect. And Barnes will say that, you know, there's stuff to coach them on. But they've been they've been as good as people expected, which, you know, the men might be surprisingly good. The women are expected expectationally good is that i don't know how to say that i'm just making up words now but you love to see both things so far i guess that's i guess that's all i got for that i to date the women's team has proven to handle expectations better than the men's team in recent years that's a good way to phrase it yes like i would agree with that so they, they each have games this week and again arizona playing a game on wednesday it's not the one that we're like the men looking that we're saying that's the the barometer, but Saturday is supposed to be the Stanford game, and that could be the first real test for this team. Um, otherwise, the football search for coach will be continuing on until we'll see. You know, they're getting a faster start at this than they did when they found Kevin Sumlin, so they have at least that going for them. And obviously, some of the names that uh, Michael Lev uh, mentioned to us are still coaching right now, so we may not know about their status until those games are over. Um, but it does seem that this coaching search for the football team will not last too long. Like you have to think that, well, one, that they had an idea they were going to fire Kevin Sumlin long before they did. And that along with that comes a short list of guys that either through back channels, you know, are somewhat interested or, you know, that you can reach out to like edit, like they've already made those, those re they've already reached out to guys through the back channels, or how they have to do it. Like they have an idea of who's interested and who they can go get for this job and what the plans will be. But it seems like, it seems like the general thought is that coaching search is going to move pretty quickly, especially after this coming weekend when certain coaches maybe are done coaching for their current teams for the season. Yeah, it could be a could be a full show next week, Adam, with the Stanford game, maybe a coaching hire signing day. Could be a lot. Yeah, I mean, it would make up for this, this slacker of a show we put together this week with not a lot of content or anything. I mean, if you made it this far, thank you. You suffered through all this this boring <laughs> episode of Wildcat Radio 2.0. Next week's show will be full. Yeah, it sounds like that could happen. Yeah, if only we had a uh, a football game or competition from last weekend that we could have really spoken to and <laughs> it's dove a shame. into. But it's a shame they didn't play, was... but they fired their coach anyway. 
<laughs> Arizona football clearly opted out of last week's game. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, we, we can't say there was supposed to be another game this weekend. Again, it was supposed to be Arizona-California. That game was canceled based on the fact that apparently neither team has enough players to play, which, yeah, that, that makes sense. That tracks. So football is done. Basketball keeps going. Coaching search will roll on, and we'll talk about whatever happens, you know, when it does happen. But otherwise, make sure you're following us at Wildcat Radio AZ on the Twitter. Download the show. Subscribe to the show. iTunes, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. Rate us. Review us. Tell us what you think. And if you have any questions, too, tweet them to us, and we'll get we'll, you know do a mailbag. We're happy to do that. It's at Wildcat Radio AZ on Twitter. Um, Brett, any parting thoughts for this week? You know, I'm excited for the basketball game Saturday. I'm excited for who is going to get hired and take the mantle for Arizona football. I think there's something to be said for a dead cat bounce, pun intended. <laughs> okay, well said. Everyone, make sure you're Was out it? there. Stay, stay safe, <laughs> stay healthy. But until next week's show, remember to bear down. Bear down.